just a bit of review from last week. We have this great declaration by Simon Peter that Jesus is the Christ. And immediately afterwards, this statement is made that the Son of Man would have to suffer. Now, it's important to know what the meaning of the title Son of Man is. I mentioned this last week, but I wasn't here last week. You guys were, but I was at a different Mass. So I'm going to mention it again. The importance of the term Son of Man is essential. It's the title that Jesus takes to himself more than any other title in Scripture, more than Christ, more than Son of God. And oftentimes people put the title Son of God above Son of Man. And it's actually the reverse. Son of Man is a more exalted title. And this comes from Daniel chapter 7, where thrones are set up and the Ancient of Days is coming on the clouds and the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days who hands over to him an everlasting kingdom and a dominion that shall not pass away. This figure of the Son of Man from Daniel 7 is the most important figure that Jesus references back to when he uses this title, Son of Man. The mystery is that before this great glory of judgment in receiving this everlasting kingship and dominion, the Son of Man actually has to suffer. So this declaration by Peter is tied up with the transfiguration where the apostles, Peter, James, and John, see the great glory of Jesus, and they get captivated by this image of the glory of Jesus Christ rather than the suffering. So this is the second time in as many weeks that we have a prediction of the death and resurrection of Christ. And yet the apostles, they still don't understand what this prediction means. Instead of talking about the suffering that their master is to endure and the danger, what it might mean for them, if their master is going to be killed, what possibly would that mean for their own vocations? Instead, they talk about which one of them is the greatest. And we can imagine how this conversation goes. You can imagine Peter, James, and John have quite a claim to this greatness. They're the ones, after all, that the Lord has chosen time and time again to go away by themselves. Now put your sh- yourself in Andrew's shoes for a moment. Think about poor Andrew. Andrew was one of the two first apostles called by Jesus. They approached him after John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, and Andrew is Simon Peter's brother. So imagine, you're the one, Andrew, who brought Peter, the rock, the first pope, to Christ, and you're not one of the three. Imagine how frustrating that is. It's like, Peter wouldn't even be going on this mountain of transfiguration if I didn't bring him to Jesus. So now I bring him, and now I'm left out of the three. We can imagine all the different claims that the various apostles have to be the greatest, and yet they miss the mark They're missing the most important aspect of what it means to be a disciple. And the most important aspect of who Christ is and what his vocation is. His vocation is to glory, eventually. But all glory for Christ and for us must first pass through the cross. Pride is defined as an inordinate desire of one's own excellence. An inordinate desire of one's own excellence. So in this debate of who is the greatest, I imagine they're comparing notes of 
different excellences that they have and probably excellences that they don't, as we often do when we debate among ourselves who has a greater claim to this or that. We hear in the letter from St. James, jealousy and ambition, conflicts, killing and envy, the desire to possess, but we cannot possess because we do not ask. To this list that would stem from pride, we can add quite a few other sins. Things like gossip, overindulging in food and drink. Oftentimes, gossip, for example, it's talking, person A talks to person B about person C so that the bond between A and B is strengthened, even at the cost of person C. We call this triangulation. And it's usually when someone doesn't feel confident in themselves and they try to build themselves up in others' eyes, their own esteem in others at the exclusion of someone else. If we look at food and drink, people often overindulge in food and drink as a form of compensation. I've gone through my whole day and I've not had control over certain aspects of my life. And because of that, I'm, I'm going to exact this food and drink as a compensation for all the damage that I've endured throughout the day. So it's linked to this sort of pride that I deserve something. I should not be at the service of others the entire day. I'm entitled to have certain possessions. I'm going to have this brownie. I'm going to have this extra portion of dinner. I'm going to have a glass of alcohol, by golly. All of these are tied to the sense that we have of ourselves that's distinct from how God sees us. When we judge others in our thoughts as less worthy than ourselves, we esteem them less than who we are. It's from the same source of pride, this inordinate desire for our own excellence. We elevate ourselves over others because we don't actually understand how great our dignity is. We don't believe, we're not convinced of our own dignity. Finally, things like material possessions. We seek these things, these titles, certain cars, certain houses, all of these things to try to elevate who we are in our own eyes because we do not believe that we're actually worth what God claims we are worth. And the last, a modest dressing. When one dresses immodestly, it's often broadcasting, I'm not confident in myself. I need others' attention to get that boost that I'm worth something, that I'm beautiful. All of those aspects are a misrepresentation of who we are as children of God. So what does Jesus propose as the solution to our warped sense of our own dignity. The solution he gives is a child, which is very interesting because child children, of course, can dicker among themselves about who's the greatest with the best of them. I don't know if you've seen this. Well, my dad does this. Well, I have a new toy. Well, I just got these new shoes. You know how it goes. You have to buy all these possessions so that each one of the kids can maintain, oh, look what I, look what I have. But all that aside, why is the child the antidote that Jesus proposes to remedy this pride that the apostles have, to remedy this sense of their vocation and their sense of dignity? 
the reason that Jesus proposes the child as the antidote is because the child is both more humble and more courageous than any adult of the world. A child is more humble and courageous than any adult of the world. I've seen various children of small ages utterly terrified of wielding an axe, and probably rightly so. It's a scary instrument. But one of my friends from a different parish, his six-year-old said, Dad, I want, I want an axe. So, of course, he bought him his own axe. Now, before you get carried away, of course, Dad is there with the use of the axe. I get it. But how is this child confident to ask his dad for an axe? I would be terrified at the age of six for wielding such an instrument. But somehow this father has conveyed to his six-year-old, if you ask me, you shall receive. The child had the confidence to ask, and that if his dad granted the request, that his dad trusted him enough to wield it well. He would obey the rules and would only wield the axe with the right safety precautions, with dad around. That's that confidence that a child has. It's not being afraid to wield something that seems far beyond their power. There's something, an interesting nuance in the Christian life, and it's the distinction between magnanimity and humility. Magnanimity literally means greatness of soul, greatness of spirit, and humility, we pretty much know what that is, but let's get to the, the distinction. The antidote of the child being both more courageous and more humble than a typical adult of the world gets at this nuance between magnanimity and humility. So what is this greatness of soul? What is this desire for excellence that's not pride, but actually a virtue? Magnanimity makes a man deem himself worthy of great things in consideration of the gifts he holds from God. So what gives us that dignity, that esteem, that we understand our own greatness and to undertake great works in accord with that greatness? The virtue is magnanimity. Then try saying magnanimity five times fast. It's not easy. In any case, a good cause of humility. But humility, what is humility? Humility makes a man think little of himself in consideration to his own deficiency, but it also makes us honor those and esteem others better than ourselves for God's gift in them, especially the gifts in them that we lack. So these virtues actually go in tandem. That's why a child is both more courageous and more humble than a typical adult. They know the gift that they have in God's gift in them. They know the the great joy that they have in being in their father's presence, the great confidence. But they also know that everything that they have is from another. There is no one more utterly dependent on another than a child. And that's the mystery of the Christian life. This is the virtue the apostles have to live, this utter dependence on Jesus Christ. The child knows that they may be able to be courageous and undertake great things, 
but only because they've received all of this dignity and authority from their parents. And I'll give you an example of this courage. Imagine a child runs down a hallway, pushes open a door with his little hands to an unlit room. Frightened, he turns back. His mother arrives and leads him by the hand. With his hand in his mother's, the child will go into any unlit room in the world. I love that. When the child is confidently with his parents, with his mom grasping him by the hand, that same frightened child will go into any unlit room in the world. That's the confidence that a child has. So this beautiful virtue that a child sustains, this courage and humility, is the thing that we desire to emulate. So how do we acquire this? How do we begin to understand our identity as sons and daughters? So we're never afraid of our own dignity. We never esteem ourselves less than who we are. And in addition to prayer, prayer is the great sustainer. When we put ourselves in front of God and recognize that the creator of the universe also called us to be his sons and daughters, that if we were the only person in the entire universe, he would still die on a cross for us in order to save us and give us eternal life, that we're actually worth more than the entire universe. And that's easy to tell because... Jesus is God, and he's greater than the entire universe, and yet, through the Father's will, he chose to die worth more than the entire universe for our sake. So each one of us is worth more than the entire created universe. That's amazing. So given that knowledge, it it comes to us in prayer, this understanding of our great dignity. But I recommend another thing. I recommend that each of us pray for a special gift of the Holy Spirit— the gift of fortitude. The gift of fortitude is distinct from the virtue, and it's summed up in these words. The gift of fortitude is the confidence of overcoming every obstacle to God's will. It's that childlike dependence on one's parents and the utter confidence that there is nothing that can stop me. Because my dad is greater than your dad, I know that I can do anything. That's the essence of our childhood, of our filiation in the Father, in Christ. When we understand our great dignity and how much we are sons and daughters of the Almighty Father, we begin to have this confidence and courage to overcome anything that may be in the way between us and our salvation. The last thing is this. Other salvation depend upon our childlike identity because it's only the one who receives a child like this that receives Jesus Christ. So for us to be good apostles, we have to have this childlike dependence on God and this childlike confidence that overwhelms everything. And may we, unlike the apostles in this moment, begin to understand our great dignity in Jesus Christ as sons and daughters of the Father and begin to be emboldened to undertake great things for God's glory, but also have the humility to recognize that all of these gifts came from our Heavenly Father.